0: Welcome to the Living Parables podcast where we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the sanctifying work of God's holy word. I am Nate, your host. To all listeners tuning in, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. I pray that it is treating you well so far. Last week, in part three of our Have You Consider My Servant series, we talked about the person of Job. And to be quite honest with you, Job should have been a multi-week series as well, but we're trying to condense things so that it's a little more succinct and, and powerful and not so drawn out. But today is a very, very special story that most of us know and have grown up listening to this story. And it's the story of Joseph. And maybe it's been a while since you heard the story of Joseph. Or maybe this is the very first time you've ever heard of Joseph. So I hope for any one of those scenarios that you hear with fresh spiritual ears today, an open heart and an open mind to what the Word is about ready to bring us. So, just as we talked about with Job last week, this is not a fictional story. This is most certainly not allegorical, but this is a true account of the life of one of our fellow believers of old, Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's youngest son at the time of the 12 sons. And where we start in this story is Genesis 37, and it goes all the way to Genesis 50. Now, I know what you're thinking. How in the world are we going to cover 13 chapters when at times when we're going through book studies, we go through about maybe 20 verses and that takes about an hour. Well, like I said before, we're, we have condensed this down to where we'll just follow along. So we're basically going to go chapter by chapter, but we're not going to read the whole thing. I kind of broke it down to where it's going to be a lot easier to follow. So we're going to start in, in chapter 37 where this story starts. So, Joseph was 17 years old. He was, in fact, Jacob's favorite son. And, in fact, Jacob made him a full length, colorful robe. And his brothers saw this and they hate him for it. And they couldn't even speak to him on friendly terms. So, the first overarching lesson is as fathers and mothers do not have favorites do not have favorites do not show favoritism to any one of your children because this is the fruit of that favoritism and second you know Joseph you know he was 17 years old his brothers probably thought he was some punk kid But I'm telling you right now, this next part, verses 5 through 8, they're pretty rough. Because Joseph had a dream where his brothers would bow to him. And of course, he told his brothers that. Probably not the best of moves. And when he did that, their hatred even grew worse for him. Then shortly after that, Joseph had another dream Where his brothers and his parents would bow to him. And so, out of that hatred, and by the way, this is another situation. Where bitterness can sit there and fester and fester and fester. So, if we actually were to listen to the words of Christ about blessing those who persecute us and loving our enemies... You know, the reality is, now, Joseph wasn't persecuting his brothers, but if his brothers were to have responded in a Christ-like manner, this stuff would not have happened. But we're dealing with a family dynamic here. And as you know, all children have their own personalities their own quirks, their own things they struggle with. So this is truly a family affair. Right now, this is a dysfunctional family. You have a father who's showing favoritism. You have a son who gets this colorful robe and is flaunting it, which any 17 year old probably would. And his older brothers you know, they're jealous. And we talked a long time ago, a long time ago, with my brother Mike, about comparing and jealousy. Remember, we posted that. That was such a long time ago. So I would challenge you to go back into the, the record books and, and search that up wonderful study we did, but that's if you plant the seed of jealousy and comparing utter bitterness, boiling, boiling water type of bitterness and jealousy and rage will be the fruit of that. So Joseph's brothers plotted to kill him. Now Reuben, the oldest said, Hey, We're not going to kill him. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw him into a pit. So, as Joseph was approaching his brothers, they were plotting. They were looking at him saying, here comes the dreamer. Here he comes. So, they plotted him. So, here's what they did. They grabbed him. They stripped him of his tunic and threw him in a pit with no water. And then... While he was in that pit, his brothers ate a meal while he was in the, in the pit pleading with them, literally pleading for his life. Brothers, why are you doing this to me? What have I done? And you know, sometimes I'll just say that sometimes we do things and it may not be what we intend to do. We don't intend sometimes to hurt people. We don't intend to uh, say and do the things that we do. And a lot of times, the things that we say and do, we don't think are that bad, but to other people, it might be a really serious thing. So we always have to be mindful of the things that we do and the things that we say. But what fascinates me about this right now, in not a good way, is that his brothers had to be so cold and calloused that his... His pleads, his begging, were not even heard. They didn't give him any water. Now if you think about a pit here; it has to be pretty deep where he can't get out of. You know, maybe at least I don't know ten feet or so. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't say. But it's hard, It's hard to hear this story right now because it's such a. It it was such a terrible thing. Joseph was in distress. I I want you to put yourself in his shoes for a minute here. Your brothers grab you, rip off your tunic, throw you into a pit, and you know they're talking about what's going down, and he feels betrayed. I mean, this isn't playful hazing here. This is vengeful plotting. So then, as they were debating on what to do, something happens. What happens is they see some people from afar coming. They see some people coming. They saw the Ishmaelites. And they decided to sell Joseph into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. That's it. 20 shekels. So, here's the problem. Now that Joseph has gone, they have his tunic. Now what are they going to do? Well, here's what they do. The brothers covered up what they did by telling their father that a wild beast devoured him. So here's what they did. They tore up his robe. They actually killed the goat. And they dipped the robe in the blood. And here's the the part about this. Reuben, the oldest, he wasn't at the sale of Joseph. But he joined in with his brothers in their cover-up. Not one person stood up for Joseph, their little brother. Not one person. All the rest of his brothers did not stand up for him at all. So, we pick up a little later in the story in verse 36. The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar. And Potiphar was an officer and a captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard. Now, obviously Pharaoh was basically at that time um, the king of the world in, in in a way. Very, very powerful man. So we we pick up on Genesis thirty nine. And what amazes me about this whole story in which you know we're we're really just getting started with it. So Joseph is now in Egypt. He's sold to Potiphar. And I want you to, again, I want want to focus here on something very important. Joseph is not at home with his brothers anymore. He's not at home with his father. Guys, he's 17 years old. Stripped away because of jealousy. Because, and and let's just face it, jealousy is sin. It's a sin. Sin is nasty. Sin makes people do terrible things. I mean, this is complete and utter betrayal. And it wasn't like Joseph was trying to brag in front of his brothers. And maybe he was. But for crying out loud, he was 17 years old. And, and this is what he gets? That seems very, very unfair. But something is going to be a reoccurring theme here. Look, look at verse 2 in chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And then it says, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He was prosperous. Now, Joseph actually found favor with Potiphar. And he was actually made an overseer of Potiphar's house and all that he owned. So talking about a bad situation Turned out to be pretty good so far. You know, the Egyptian house at Elion was blessed because of Joseph. So, in the same way, wherever you work at, you with your family, with your circle of friends, a lot of people at times can be blessed because you follow Christ. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not gonna brag. I've had some difficult times as a teacher, but my students. And my room has been blessed. And I give all the glo- the glory to God for it. Because it's not me. It's Christ in me. And it, and it pours within me and then outwardly to everybody else. I've seen amazing things with students, how they're able to, to really have a calming presence. And so... With that, God gets the glory. Now, Potiphar's wife, we see in verses 7 and 8, her desire for Joseph was starting to burn. She desired Joseph, but he refused. Now, it says in Scripture that he was a handsome man. And the reason why he denied Potiphar's wife, because he was faithful and loyal, first to God, then to his master, Potiphar. Now, this wasn't a one-and-done temptation. Now, And we have to talk about this. Potiphar's wife was probably very attractive. And so, it would be easy for Joseph to fall in that temptation. I mean, he's single. He's in his prime. And you have the wife of your master, again, probably drop-dead gorgeous, and she wants him extremely bad. But what's more important? it's it's more important what god says not to do and also your loyalty to those around you now again this wasn't a one-done temptation she talked to him every single day now we're talking about harassment temptation has no time limit Or age limit. I want to say that again. Temptation has no time limit or age limit. She was going after him like a predator going after a prey. Now, she finally found an opportunity. When no one else was around, she grabbed Joseph's robe And she said, lie with me. We all know what that means. And here's what Joseph did. And this is so wonderful. This is such a beautiful illustration on what to do when you're tempted. He resisted, got out of his robe. He fled and ran outside. He ran from temptation. That's what he did. So you don't flirt with sin, you run from it. I love it. Now, Joseph did the right thing in the eyes of God and to his master, Potiphar. Now, Potiphar being the woman that she is, here's what she did. She lied. She lied. And she said that Joseph went for her to make sport of her and everybody else. Talk to Potiphar saying, "It's this Hebrew you brought and he's making sport of us." And I screamed, he went after me. He tried to rape me. It's basically what he's saying. It's a conspiracy. And by the way, the robe that was given to Joseph by his father was torn from him dipped in blood by his brothers, and now fast forward to here, another robe was stripped off and used against him. That was, that was her evidence. This is the second time a robe was used. I just find that interesting. But it's, it's a conspiracy. And he's completely innocent. And she said, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us signifies the shift of blame to both Joseph and Potiphar himself. So the actual person, the perpetrator, is is actually making false accusations to the innocent parties, both Potiphar and Joseph. And what a terrible thing that is for Potiphar, that you can't even trust your wife to be faithful to you. Now, when Potiphar heard of this, his anger burned and he threw Joseph in jail where the royal prisoners were held. Boy, here we go again. So Joseph is imprisoned. And wow, here we go. Here we go again. Now, instead of Joseph crying out to God, blaming God, being angry with God, cursing God, He still trusted God. But here is where the goodness of God comes in. In verse 21, it says, The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. How did he do that? He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So Joseph found favor with him. So not only did he find favor with Potiphar at the time and was made overseer of his house and all that he owned, now he's being prosperous even in jail. So just like we read in verses 3 through 5, he was put in charge and God caused prosperity to come upon Joseph. But listen to verse 23. The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. This isn't a prosperity gospel, but this is complete suffering. This is the second time he was betrayed by people. And that betrayal led to uh, slavery. And now it has led to imprisonment. So we picked this story up. In chapter 40, here's what it says. Now, a cupbearer and a baker were thrown in the same prison as Joseph. And you know what? Joseph being the guy he is, he took care of them. And they both had dreams. And God granted Joseph the ability to interpret them. They were both sad by their dreams because no one could interpret them. And Joseph said... And verse 8, interpretations belong to God. Now, Joseph right here could have easily said, Hey, I'm your guy. I can do this stuff. I, 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 me, me, me. We talked about that, right? We don't say that. Those are red flags. Joseph gave the glory back to God. And he said, interpretations belong to God. I wish people would have that same attitude today. So verses 9 through 15 the chief cupbearer's dream was told and joseph interpreted it and he said that the cupbearer would be reinstated joseph asked him to mention to pharaoh that hey i interpreted your dream and could you can you do me a favor can you tell pharaoh that so hey i can get out would you mind doing that i'm innocent now the cupbearer When he got out, he forgot. He forgot. And this is why we must trust God, because he won't forget us. People forget us, don't they? They mistreat us. They act like we don't exist sometimes. But God will never, never do that to us. Now, here's here's the other part we didn't talk about. The, The chief baker's dream was told, and Joseph interpreted it, And unfortunately, Pharaoh said, off with his head. And they hung him from a tree, and the birds will eat of your flesh. And unfortunately, at the Pharaoh's birthday party, the interpretations came true. And the baker was executed, and the cupbearer was reinstated. And Joseph, once again, we just talked about it, but Joseph was super excited because these things were coming true. He's like, "Okay, I'm gonna get out of prison any day now. I'm gonna, someone's gonna come down and release me because I really helped the cupbearer out. I interpreted his dream. He, he, he's gonna do me a solid here." And he forgot. He forgot. Now, that was the fast version. Of chapter 40. Now we go to chapter 41. This is where Pharaoh's dream comes in. Two years later. So it wasn't that the cupbearer was like, after a week, oh man, I forgot about Joseph. This was two years later. Whoops. This is why we don't trust people, all right? All right. I'm not saying that to not trust people, but. When we trust people over God, this is what happens. Now, verses 1 through 8, Pharaoh, two years later, had disturbing dreams. And Pharaoh went to the magicians, the wise men, and they could not give Pharaoh an interpretation. God gave him the dream, and this was Joseph's moment of redemption. Because God didn't forget. Now, the chief cupbearer, in verses 9 through 13, actually finally remembered Joseph. He finally remembered him. So, (laughs) this wasn't a small imprisonment. And what we're about to find out is Joseph was actually in jail for 10 plus years. Did you hear that? He was in jail for over 10 years. Not 10 days, not 10 months, 10 years. And he was still faithful to God. Now, I am not saying that Joseph didn't have his moments of doubt. I'm not saying that Joseph grew weary because we're all human, we're all of the flesh, but that trust needs to supersede the fear and the doubts that arise, even when the situation's around us. So, here's what happened. Here's what happened. The cupbearer remember Joseph. Say, hey, I there's a uh, a Hebrew. Youth, and he interpreted dreams for us. And I was restored, and the other guy was hanged. So Pharaoh called for Joseph. After all those years, he called for Joseph and brought him in. Pharaoh said, I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. This was his moment. And in those divine appointments... Joseph could have easily used the flesh and said, yes, I'm your guy. I am capable. I have the power. I am a great man. But no, here's what Joseph said. It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Wow. Is that your response to those divine moments where God is looking for you to give him the glory for the gifts, talents, and abilities that he has given you? That's, that's two or three times now that Joseph said, it's not me. Interpretations belong to the Lord. It's not me. God is going to give you the answer. Men are not capable of doing divine things without the Holy Spirit being within. We give God the glory for everything that we say and everything that we do. So, in verses 17 through 24, Pharaoh told him of the dream. Now, in verses 25 through 32, Joseph interprets the dream of seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. So, Joseph, in a, in essence, after this, was saying, "Yeah, you probably need to you need to set somebody up to oversee these plans." And take care of it. And so Joseph in verses 33 through 37, he gave the proposal on what to do and suggested they should appoint overseers over all this. It wasn't saying you know what? I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you the answer to your dream if you do this for me. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You can hear him saying? That's not what he said. And here is where the story becomes so. So amazing. Verses 38 through 49, Pharaoh made Joseph second in command over all of Egypt. And he received a new name, which is Zaphnath paneah which means God speaks, he lives. Names are so important. At this point of his reinstatement, Joseph was 30 years old. And Joseph's plan, the seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine, worked because God richly blessed them with abundance. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. I would encourage you to read chapter 41 to get, really get into those plans in, in really big detail. But God has restored Joseph. He was in prison for so long, and he still trusted God. Are you still trusting God when the chips are down, when things around you are crumbling? Are you trusting God, or is your heart becoming more calloused and stone-hearted? That's the question. Now we pick up at verse 51 and 52. Joseph had two sons. His first son was Manasseh, which means making to forget. And Joseph even said, God made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. (laughs) Little did he know. Verse 52, his next son, Ephraim, means fruitfulness. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Understand that Both these sons' names were glorifying God. But also, it was attributing to the story of his life. Look, what happened to me in the past, especially with my brothers, and I'm going to say this right now, the betrayal of his brothers far outweighed the betrayal of Potiphar's wife that he barely knew for a few years. That was 17 years of family that was ripped away by jealousy. And so... God has made me forget all my troubles. He's made me fruitful. Oh, he was fruitful. Uh, But here's the thing God's about ready to remind him of all his troubles. And the great test is about ready to come. Chapter 42 Joseph's dad, Jacob, was hit hard by the famine. Now, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So if you hear me saying Israel, it's not so much the land Israel but that was Jacob's name that was that was given to him so Joseph's dad Jacob was hit hard by the famine he told his sons to go to Egypt to buy grain so 10 brothers went after believing that he was past those days of pain talking about Joseph here and family betrayal injustice was long behind him all that pain and turmoil hit him like a freight train, right in the face. His brothers came to Egypt. They bowed to him. Oh, wait a minute. They bowed to him? Sounds a lot like Genesis 37, 5 through 8, where Joseph had that dream where his brothers were going to bow to him. That's, That's being fulfilled right now. As he said they would when he was 17, which was 13 years prior, God had been preparing Joseph for this moment. This was a divine appointment that God had set into place. What was Joseph going to do? Was he going to follow God or take the road of vengeance? And I'll tell you right now, a lot of us be like, yeah, throw them in prison for 10 years and see how they like it. Sell them into slavery and see how they like it. So let's see what he does. So verses 10 through 21, obviously Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him at all, but Joseph did. They came to buy food, but Joseph called them spies to test them. He told them to get their youngest brother, and he will keep Simeon in prison to verify that they weren't spies. So, uh uh-oh, they were accused of being spies, and that... That means total imprisonment. He could have imprisoned them all, but he didn't. So what he did is he kept uh, kept Simeon, and he told them to get their youngest brother. Now, 22 through 28, the guilt of their acts against Joseph had made itself known. Their sin had finally caught up with them. When they saw their money to buy food was returned in one of the sacks, they were absolutely terrified. They were terrified. So verses 29 to 38, the brothers went back to the father, but Jacob refused to send the youngest son. Uh-oh, he had another another son after Joseph, Benjamin, because he had already lost Joseph, and now Simeon. Let's just let's just say this right now. Joseph was obviously Jacob's favorite son. Again, you shouldn't have favorites, but the thought of losing Simeon now. And Benjamin, I mean, he he was un- under the impression that Simeon was gone anyway now. I'm never going to see him again. I'm not going to give up Benjamin. Now, truly the youngest, he, he couldn't even bear it. So, verse 40, uh, chapter 43 here, they were running low on food again, and they needed to go back to buy food. So, Joseph made it very clear to them. They were not allowed to return without their youngest brother. And here's the thing. Judah told their father, Jacob, he's going, I'm going to bear the responsibility for Benjamin. And finally, Jacob agrees to send him. So as a precaution, as a precaution, Jacob sent with them double the money and the best products to offer. Jacob is still bereaved and stressed. His anxiety is at an all-time high. Am I going to see my sons ever again, especially Benjamin? Only God knows the answer to that. So, verses 16 through 25 in chapter 43, when they arrived, Joseph actually prepared to dine with them at noon. So they were going to have lunch. They were honest about the money that they had been mysteriously returned with them in their sacks. Joseph put it in there, by the way. Joseph said it was him. He told them, Be at ease, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. They ate lunch together. By the way, this that point should have raised a little bit of suspicion because Egyptians didn't believe in. The one true God. They had so many multiple different gods, and it's interesting because when he said that, it's like they didn't pick up on it. So it, it's just interesting how those those things uh come come about. You know, there's just a little bit, a little bit in there that I thought was just pretty cool. So Verses 26-34, through 34, they bowed down before him, and Joseph even asked about their father. And as they were coming together, Joseph saw Benjamin, his younger brother now, for the very first time. Joseph was so overcome with emotion, he wept and was moved with deep compassion. He had had, had to excuse himself. At lunch, he ate by himself because Egyptians didn't eat with foreigners. He He was playing the part, essentially. Joseph tested his brothers by giving Benjamin a portion five times bigger than everybody else's. Hmm. This is a test. Okay. You hated me because my father or our father showed favoritism to me. So I'm going to give the youngest brother five times bigger portions of food than you guys. And let's see, let's see their reaction. Their brothers actually had no reaction. Interesting. Chapter 44, verses 1 through 17. Joseph had a plan as they were about ready to leave. He placed his silver cup, which symbolized Joseph's authority in Egypt, in the youngest bag, travel bag and he had his steward catch up with him and catch them red-handed. When they got back to to Joseph, when they were caught, Joseph said to them, whoever has the cup is going to be my slave. Well, you know, Joseph had a little bit of a sleight of hand here, and he had his servants put, essentially, that silver cup into Benjamin's bag. So this turned out to be this was supposed to be a great meal. They left. They, they, they felt good about themselves. They had all this stuff, bring it back to their father and brought back for interrogation. Whoever has this cup is going to be my slave, knowing full well whose it was, just to give them a taste of their own medicine, what they did to him. And verses 18 through 34, Judah pleads and begs with Joseph and acknowledges that he was equal to Pharaoh. He was begging for mercy. Judah told him, if Ben leaves his father, if Benjamin leaves, Jacob's going to die. And you know, at this moment, another divine, divine moment here, Joseph had a choice. He had ultimate authority to end all their lives and imprison them or imprison them forever. He could make them suffer 10 times over, from what they did to him. And here's the thing, in that conversation with Judah, Judah had acknowledged their sin to Joseph. They didn't know it was him. They said, it was basically confession time. Because actually, here's the the funny part. It was actually Judah's idea in the first place to sell him. All these years later, all these years later, they were finally confessing to the lie they told their father, And Judah now, at the end of this conversation, this begging and pleading, he makes, he says something that absolutely overwhelms Joseph. And I'm going to tell you what it is. Judah said that he would substitute himself for Benjamin's slavery. It was truly at that moment, Joseph knew that his brothers had truly changed. They had changed. And so we transition to Genesis 45. After hearing Judah's willingness to substitute himself for Benjamin, Joseph cried very loudly, and everyone was asked to leave except his brothers. Joseph was crying so loud that the Egyptians heard it and it even traveled to even Pharaoh's house. That's how loud he was crying. In verse 3 was the big reveal. Joseph revealed who he was and who he is. Joseph invited them to come closer and it was a beautiful moment of reconciliation. Now verse 5 Joseph was saying, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because of what they did. And that's an amazing testimony and model of forgiveness. And what an image of God's forgiveness towards us. God's plan and purpose for Joseph was revealed here. God had sent me before you to preserve life. It is estimated that 3 to 5 million people were alive then around that area. Imagine if Joseph was never sold into slavery and brought to Egypt. So God uses the greatest of times and the worst of times for his purposes and glory, as well as the betterment of others. Sometimes in this life, we suffer for doing what is right. Because suffering for what is right finds favor with God, and we're blessed because of it. So, without sparing too much more time, Joseph has a plan to bring everybody, all of his brothers, all of his, all of his family, to Egypt. And he he told them in verses twenty-four through twenty-eight. He said, "Look, don't fight in the way back. Don't, because guess what? Now they're going to have re- His brothers have to reveal to their father they've been lying for so many years about." this cover up of Joseph's murder and turns out they actually sold him into slavery so they bring they bring everybody back and here's the amazing part truly was a wonderful reunion with Joseph and his father and Chapters 45 through 50, it's mostly about them moving back and settling in. And I'll tell you right now, they times were really good. We pick up on Genesis 50 as we start to close. Jacob was reaching the end of his life. At Jacob's death. Joseph wept and kissed him. And even the Egyptians wept too. So they grew to love them just just as much. Joseph asked Pharaoh if he could bury his father where Jacob uh, made him swear. He agreed. And so Joseph buried his father in the land of Canaan, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre. Now, uh, the story takes a little bit of a twist in verses 15 through 21 because now that their father was gone, Joseph's brothers that were involved in the selling of uh, Joseph and his slavery were fearful that now that he's going to fully repay them now. He wasn't going to he wasn't restrained by his father anymore. And Jacob even wrote Joseph a message asking him to forgive his brothers for their sin that they committed. Because they, in fact, did him very wrong. Joseph wept again. And now his brothers had all the doubts in the world, again, for no reason. And they doubted his forgiveness. They doubted his love for them again. Isn't that us with God? Sometimes we doubt his love and his forgiveness. So, Joseph and his brothers, his brothers fell before him. They said, we are your servants. Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in God's place? That's humility. Now, let's, the verse 20 is, is the big payoff here. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result, to preserve many people. You meant stuff for evil, but God meant it for good. So the, sometimes the evil that you're going through not that you're practicing evil, but the, the, the terrible things that happen to us, these hard things, Satan means it for evil, but God will turn it for good. Because Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for, for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. This is a true event that symbolizes what Christ Jesus did for us at Calvary on the cross. God didn't spare his son and the world meant that the death for Jesus, they meant it for evil. God meant it for our eternal good. Salvation was now possible for us because without Jesus, it is impossible. So, Joseph, being the guy he is, took care of his family and their little ones. No strings attached, no blackmail, no grudges, no bitterness, no hatred, he comforted them and spoke kindly to their hearts. He had truly had forgiven his brothers. Joseph stayed in Egypt and lived there until he was 110 years old, where he, was, where he finally met his end. And as we wrap this up, let me just say this to you right now. Joseph had a hard life. He had many divine appointments set before him. And by the grace of God, because of his faith in God, his trust in God, he passed the test. Would we pass that kind of test? Would we pass that kind of test? The story is a very powerful one. Betrayal, conspiracies, false accusations, forgiveness. But you have to see Christ in the story in the cross. Jesus was condemned to death, but he was completely innocent. The world meant it for evil, but God made it for our own good. It was our only hope of salvation through Christ Jesus, our Lord, on the cross. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have a chance now for eternal life. And that's solely through his son, Jesus Christ. What a God we serve. So with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And remember, everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. Until next time, God bless you all.